The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. Back everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode seventy-one. We continue our reviews of our previews for the fantasy baseball twenty twenty-one season. This week we're going to hit on the catchers for a brief minute and start off on some outfield stuff. We'll see how far we get. Maybe we'll do some more next week. Maybe we'll call it good. We'll go from there. We'll talk about some listener questions and all that good stuff. I am the Bubba portion of the podcast on Twitter at BDentric, and my other partner in crime on this one. You can find him on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy Toby. How are we doing, my friend? Doing well, Bubba. We are doing a catcher preview review, uh, which I'm very excited about, as you can tell. Um, You know, catcher, the catching position is by far the most interesting and fascinating position that we could cover. Um, I know a lot of of the position oftentimes gets a lot of criticism and people say that they're not interested in listening to catcher previews. However, I think that catcher is the key 
uh, to success in fantasy baseball. And so I'm very excited that people are watching and people are listening um, on the podcast because catcher previews cannot be topped. They cannot, but we will try. And um, people did ask questions on this. They wanted the process and all that good stuff. So we'll hit on it once again as we go through the catcher position. We'll get your hot takes on uh, – I didn't even put Real Muto on the outline because I'm pretty sure he's going to be mentioned 45 other times between questions and everything else. And you're wearing the hat. You're wearing the Phillies hat. I figured it was for I figured it was for JT. I know. I just posted that on Twitter. I'm wearing my Phillies hat for JT Real Muto. Now, one of the things you might be able to notice, and this is one of the things that's really challenging about parenthood, is right here. There's a little crease, and that's where my Uh-oh. four-year-old stepped on my hat. Uh, I was going to say sat on it, but okay, stepped uh, on it. Yeah. Stepped on it. I walk into the laundry room because they're all like kind of dangling there, and uh, my four-year-old standing on my JT Real Muto Phillies hat, and I'm just like, what are you doing? And he's <laughs> like, I'm trying to get my own hat, and I'm sitting here like – but it's actually um, kind of cool. I, I'll try to limit the stories today, but um, my four-year-old, for some reason – well, he has a Mariner's hat. And he's had it for a couple of years. And so he's super into the Mariners. And sometimes when I go get him um, in the mornings, like when I'm waking him up for to get ready for daycare and stuff, he'll be like, are the Mariners playing today? <laughs> and great. I'm like, no, not yet. But, soon. Um, soon. So anyway, that's a long way of saying that as a result of his love for the Mariners, he destroyed my Phillies hat. In his quest for his Mariners glory, he destroyed my Phillies hat. But it still looks great. good, I think. So yeah, it we'll looks see. fine. I, I wouldn't have noticed it until you said something. So I know, but good. now you just can't keep your eyes off of it. Nope, nope. It's, it's usually the beard, but now it's the crease. It's just, <laughs> it's just how it goes. But um, let's get into the catcher's position here. Like I said, I'm not going to put JT on the map. I think we've talked about him plenty. Like we established that when I actually think there's a question later on. So I'll hit on him again. But um, I, I don't wanted to talk to... about him. <laughs> we already know where that stands. Um, but I wanted to talk about the next two guys because I've heard some interesting discussions around the industry on the podcast in recent weeks, talking about Salvi Perez as the second catcher, Will Smith as the third. For everyone keeping track at home, we're using draft champions ADP from February 1st on. So there's been 11 completed drafts at this time of the recording. Salvi's two, Will Smith's three. Salvi's going to pick 82. Will Smith, Will Smith is going around pick 99 to 100. It's interesting, though, because Salvi's like the consensus, too. But I'm hearing a lot of buzz of people liking Will Smith more now. Where do you stand on this one? Yeah, I'm firmly in the Salvi camp, and honestly, I don't think it's I don't think it's super close um, for me. That's not to say that I don't like Will Smith because I think Will Smith does everything that you want a catcher, everything you want a hitter to do. He's got great play discipline, makes a ton of contact, hits the ball hard, hits the ball in the air. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Salvi is the plate appearances. I mean, the plate appearance difference is going to be huge because I think the Dodgers are a very good team. Um, I think Will Smith is easily their best catcher, but we already know that Kershaw likes to throw to Austin Barnes. So that's one out of every five games where you're not going to have, where you're not going to have Will Smith behind the plate. And I think there's going to be at least one other pitcher that they probably match Barnes with. So you're going to get a 60% split for Will Smith and literally Salvador Perez. I think when before, I don't think he takes days off. Like literally, I think before his eye injury, and it was an eye injury, folks. It wasn't like it was it wasn't a strained muscle or anything like that. He did have Tommy John a couple years ago, but again, not like a um, not like a muscle injury or anything like that. He didn't he didn't sit any games before, and he didn't sit any games 
afterwards. And so for me, it's just the plate appearance difference is going to be massive. So in the ATC projections, you know, the, the plate appearance difference is about 80 plate appearances. I would not be surprised if it is um, significantly larger than that because they have uh, Salvi with 122 games. Um, let's take a look back at some of his previous ones. I mean, just from like a pure, um, you know, projections equal value perspective, I have Perez as the 40th ranked player on my spreadsheet at about $23. And I have um, Will Smith as the 83rd. So about $16. So I think either one of them is a good draft pick. Um, I just think with Perez, I know I'm getting the plate appearances and he's never not been good when he's played. Mm -hmm. um, he's always good for like 50 runs. I mean, incredibly consistent. 57 runs, 52 runs, 57 runs, 57, 52. Um, and then you have RBI, 79, 70, 70, 64, 80, 80. And in all of those seasons, 526 plate appearances, 606, 553, 546, 499, 544, right? So he just plays a ton. And I think that's, when I talk about drafting a, a catcher high, normally the guys that I'm targeting are the guys that I anticipate are going to have a massive plate appearance boost. And so for that reason, I think, I think it's Salvi. And I think there's reasons to believe that he did improve you know, he has improved as a player. His quality of contact metrics were the best that he has had. Um, you know, his exit velocity, actually 91 mile per hour. This is the second consecutive year he's had that. His barrel rate was higher than before. Um, he did uh, lower his launch angle a little bit, but the ground ball percentage is still 35.7%, uh, which is excellent. Um, and there may be more power there too, with fly ball rate was at 37.4% last year. Um, but that's really because the line drive rate was higher than it's ever been. So I think that should, you know, regress down to about 21%. Higher fly ball percentage reduces the average a little bit, but maybe an increase in the in the pop. So I think there's I think there's upside there. I think there's ceiling there. I think there's a super high floor as long as he's healthy. I still think that Will Smith is going to be very good. Yes, on a per plate appearance basis, maybe Will Smith is better, but Will Smith is also going to hit further back in the in the lineup. You know, Salvi is going to be hitting third or fourth in what is a fine line. Pretty decent, right? Lineup. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not great, but it's not it's not weak. So I, I'm firmly in the Salvi camp. I know that pick is getting panned pretty broadly. Um, you know, who would who would draft Salvi that that early in in the season? But you know, for me, I I, I he's my most owned catcher. So yeah, yeah, I love Salvi, and uh, we've talked about him many times. Like. Pretty much every time he's played, obviously last or nineteen because of the Tommy John surgery, he wasn't there. But uh, any season he's been eligible to play, I've always had him ranked top two or three, maybe. And I have no reason not to have him two this year because, like you said, he's the model of consistency, and that's such a beautiful thing for the catcher's position because we've seen the wear and tear on guys, and you know, no batting average or this, that, and the other. Salvi does it all. He's just such a good catcher. Um, if JT didn't steal bags there might not be as big of a gap between the two. Like there, there is, there is a gap still. Cause JT is, I'm not going to go that far, but the steel separates them quite a bit. But the biggest reason I want to talk about this is the, the kind of buzz for Will Smith. I've been hearing around there and it's nothing against Will Smith, but once that DH kind of got knocked out and there's still a chance, like I'm not going to, as long as expanded playoffs is in consideration, DH is always on the table, but I just, 
I don't see it happening once they start really playing spring training games. So once I got knocked off the table, his playing time went down. Like you said, Austin Barnes is going to catch at least once every fifth day. Um, there's going to be other scenarios where the Dodgers just move things around. They might even – I'm not saying Wilson was a bad defensive catcher, but Austin Barnes is usually pretty good, so maybe they put him in late in the game. There's a couple of bats that get taken away from you. There's a lot of scenarios where Will Smith loses some love there where Salvi won't. They'll DH him. Like we've seen it time and time again. It's why you loved Real Mutual even more last year because they DH him when he wasn't catching. That's what Salvi gets. So it, it was a – I wanted to bring it up for discussion. And honestly, one of, if not two, of the next two guys we talk about – I would take over Will Smith as well, but that's just because of the scenario in place. And I wanted to make a kind of a, if we're going to hit on catchers, I want to talk about it. So the next two guys on the ledger here, it's Wilson Contreras and Yasmati Grandal, the fourth and fifth catchers off the board. I pick 130 and 131. So they're going right next to each other. It feels like it's once someone pulls the trigger, someone else goes, oh, okay, I need to get one of these top four guys. We're, we're picking Grandal or Contreras, vice versa, right next to each other. For me personally, I have Grandal right behind Salvi. A lot of it's the DH situation. A lot of it's just OBP skills and consistency from Grandal. But Wilson Contreras, I think, is still sneaky, sneaky good. So um, what do you have for like a Contreras versus Grandal situation? Yeah, this has been one that I str- I've struggled with a little bit um, because, you know, generally speaking, I like Grandal a lot more. But I think that the problem with Grandal for me is – is the batting average. That's the one area where you're really concerned. And oftentimes when I'm building my, my teams, you know, if I've, if I've gone heavy early on starting pitching, batting is an average is something I don't want to fall behind in early, right? Because when you fall behind early in batting average, you can't really make up for it and make up for everything else that you need to do in a draft. So I really want to be high in batting average. So I've actually found myself with quite a few more share shares um, or um, having, having, having Contreras on my team in a lot more instances. Um, I think Salvi's my number one owned uh, catcher, the guy that I have the most on my teams. Uh, Contreras is number two. JTR is number three, I think. And then probably Grandal uh, or, or probably Yadi, Yadi or Molina's in there just as my catcher too. But um, yeah, I think that's the major distinguishing factor for me. I think Grandal probably gets you know, more runs in RBI, although I think it's going to be close. And I think he also has a slight advantage in home runs. I do think that Contreras may get some additional plate appearances. The DH definitely hurts him. I definitely had in mind DH when I was targeting him, you know, earlier on in drafts because, you know, the Cubs just don't have a lot of, a lot of hitters. Um, but I could still see an instance where they try to get his bat in there, um, they also have a crap outfield. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows what will happen? Definitely a little bit of a dent towards Contreras. So now if I was drafting, I might lean Grandal uh, when it came down to it. But it would definitely depend on what my batting average already looked like because I do worry about taking that hit. And I do think that Contreras has some massive upside. I think he's got some things going in his favor. He's got that really nice max exit. You know, I want to say it's like close to 115. Um, you know, he just hasn't necessarily put it all together. And I think it, he could do that in one, in one season. Um, and there's no reason to believe that this couldn't be that season. So, you know, back and forth a little bit, I think there's a reason why they're together, both in terms of ADP and, and where I have them from a, you know, a price perspective. Yeah. They're both very, very close to me. Like if, I wouldn't argue either direction. I like Grendel, just give me the American League with the white Sox. I'll take my chances there. 
that scenario if I have to do a tiebreaker. OBP League, for those that play those, Grandall's really, really good. Um, nothing against Contreras, who's pretty good too, but Grandall's very good in an OBP League. So keep keep that in mind if you're doing that situation. But I like Grandall as well. I think the average does suffer, but I think he kind of hit a low last year. I wouldn't, I, I'd call that kind of his floor, if, if anything. So I, I would keep that in mind going forward. But yeah, I'd take both of these guys, I think, over Will Smith. But that's just me because I'm pretty sure they're going to play more. Yeah, I, I would. Um, I would, too, uh, for both of them, probably. Um, although I probably should have Smith in at least one place. Uh, Cubby Noel is asking dollar values for Wilson Contreras and Grandal. What I have for them, I have Contreras at about $17 and Grandal. So Contreras a little under $17 um, and Grandal a little above $17, uh, 73rd and 76th in my rankings. So right next um, to each other. Yeah, right next to each other. Perfect. Uh, the next guy we're going to talk about, I thought was an interesting topic, Dalton Varsho. When we first did our catcher's preview, there was, there was talks of uh, him playing every day in the outfield and how great it would be to get this guy with double-digit steals upside, playing every day, we get catcher's eligibility and all this great stuff. And now every report you see, or pretty much every report you see, is Varsho will be starting in the minor leagues. Like That can change. He could have a great spring, of course. Things can change. Right now, it looks pretty darn positive that Varsho will be starting in the minor leagues, which takes a massive hit to the situation. Um, he is currently still the uh, – he's down – actually, he moved – he's the eighth catcher off the board still. Pick 153, as high as 123. I can't stomach that price anymore, Toby. I know you – we were both fans of his. I think you have a few shares. I do not think goodness, but it wasn't by choice. Someone else just jumped me on him because I would have been on him. But what's your thoughts now on Dalton Varsho? Oh, I actually have a change I need to make. My most owned, my the catcher I have on the most teams is um, Wilson Contreras. Oh, Contreras oh. is actually number one at six. Salvi, I have five. Varsho, I have four. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one coming. <laughs> uh, I mean, the thing with Varsho is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really tough pick to make now. I had him in a lot of early DCs with the news that he might get it because it is, I mean, it's it sounds a little ridiculous to say, but he's a league-winning pick. Like, there are few, very few guys that you can draft maybe at pick 140 that are league winners, and he really is that. I mean, you know, the, the thing that I would say is that his projections are currently for I think about 400 plate appearances. Mm -hmm. So he can miss a couple months and still hit that, you know, if he's playing in the outfield, right? So not all is not lost necessarily, but a guy who can steal 10 to 15 bags and hit 10 to 15 home runs, there's very few of those in, in fantasy baseball right now. And he's got track record in the minors. And I think he's got a pretty good average at every spot. He doesn't have a hot, particularly high K rate. So I think that there still is hope, but I think it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough for sure. I, I can't see drafting him where he's going right now, just with the uncertainty. Although I would say that I, there is something to be said for a strategy of maybe drafting him and then grabbing like a, like a catcher two like Jose Trevino or, or somebody like that, where you can kind of plug him in and you're just saying, I hope, Varsho comes up in May or June because the combination of those two players could be something special still at the catcher position. I think my challenge individually is that 
I don't know how good of a job I did backing up Varsho in those days <laughs> where I drafted him. So I got to go back and kind of take a look at that and see. But again, he struggled initially, but I don't think there's a reason to believe that he can't at least go 10 and 10 with, with enough plate appearances, which is really what you're drafting him for anyway. Yeah, and if you look at the ATC projections, he's he's projected for one fewer game than Will Smith, uh, nine fewer plate appearances, nine fewer home runs, and ten more stolen bases, same batting average. So it's pretty darn wow. close. Given given the, I that, like I like that, Bubba. Thank you it, for bringing hope back to the conversation. That's assuming though that he comes up in May, and that he should like unless something goes horribly wrong in spring and you just can't figure it out in AAA. Okay. But you probably drop him once those reports come out, anyways. Um, he should be up rather soon. There's no real reason outside of something weird with Arizona to keep him down. So um, I get it. It's just it's this situation like for a DC or something. Okay, because you're going to need like four or five catchers, anyways. But man, like on a regular team where you like a two catcher league where you probably don't draft a third catcher to stomach another roster spot on a catcher, uh, you can't like wait till the mm. end. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Like I'm not saying it's, it's not saying it's impossible, but we've talked about it. You know, you're you're churning and you're burning your your bench in a fab league, especially like a 15 team league. Now you have one roster spot dedicated to Dalton Varsho, a catcher that might not come up, and Mike, like you just don't know. That's a tough situation to be in. It is a tough situation for sure. So, and the thing is, I mean, I think there's something to be said too for being able to maybe go after Christian Vasquez. You know, with a with a relatively similar profile. I don't fully yeah. buy into what he's been able to do. But you can't say that you won't probably get at least a handful of stolen bases from him, which yeah, is he's, super pro- cool. he's, he's projected for seven. Um, he's in the past. He's he's been a decent steals guy, like you're saying. You know, four last year in a shortened season, four the each two years before that, and seven the year before that. So um, he's, he's probably going to get you five plus, give or take. All the projected sides have him for five or more. Decent average, fourteen, fifteen homers. I like the the Vasquez shout out quite a bit. He's a kind of underappreciated guy in that Red Sox lineup. It isn't the old Red Sox lineup, but still not bad. So mm-hmm. I think it's a good alternative. And when you look at Christian Vasquez, he's going right before Varsho by like five picks. So if you just say, you know what, I'm going to take the guy that's the everyday catcher in Boston. I don't have to worry about playing time and all that. Go like around a early and get Christian Vasquez, call it good. That's definitely an option you can take as well. All right, two uh, bounce back or potential bounce back candidates that some people are talking about. They're tough to stomach, but they're coming at a price tag that if you build properly, we've talked about it last week, you just talked about it with Varsho. If you build your roster properly to kind of offset problems, I should say, Gary Sanchez, the 11th catcher off the board, is at pick 186. Mitch Garver's the 13th catcher off the board at 220. Now, to be fair, Sanchez for now has the starting job, but there's been some interesting comments out of Brian Cashman already this offseason. And Mitch Garver reports are maybe DHs when Nelson Cruz isn't, but be sharing times with uh, Jeffers. Uh, Jeffers is going well after Mitch Garver, let's put it that way. Are you taking chances on Gary Sanchez or Mitch Garver at this point in time? Not really. I, I don't think I have them on any teams. You know, with Sanchez, I think the challenge is just the batting average. The batting average is so low. And it's been so low now for such a long time, it seems very difficult for that to come up. And so playing in a lot of all overall competitions, you just can't stomach that that batting average in an overall competition. So I would say no there. I think in a standalone, you know, maybe maybe you give that a shot. But again, it's a, it's a huge drain. 
it's a huge dream for sure. Garver, I've never, I've always had a challenge buying into Garver because the twins have never shown an interest in having him play more than one out of every two games. Yeah. You know, and obviously 2019, if he's able to replicate 2019, well, you know, that's great, but it's also hard to see him being able to replicate that or, or come close to it. And so at a, at a cost of 220, you know, pick 220, maybe, maybe he's a ceiling guy that you go for, but I think I just, you know, they, they, they are pretty strict with having their catchers only play one out of every two games. Yep. So maybe there's something to DH thing, but until we get there, I just, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I necessarily see it, but you know, um, again, the, the cost isn't, isn't huge. Yeah, like I've been liking Jeffers late in drafts and DCs and stuff as like a third or fourth catcher with good batting average upside, not a lot of power. But Garver's interesting if you're looking for kind of a power source because, like you said, he's not going to play every day. But you got a guy that projections have, you know, 15-ish homers, 245, 250 average. At that point in the draft when you're talking catchers, that's like pretty good, if not the same. Like Yanni Molina, I think the power's kind of knocked maybe 10 to 12. Uh, Posey's bad and average, no power. Everyone's in on Carson Kelly, but I'll believe that when I finally see it. There's like a couple guys you can kind of look at, but I think Garver is just an interesting one that if it just clicks right, we've seen him play first base at times. We've seen him um, DH when like Cruz takes a day off. So maybe Garver, it, it, it sucks. Like you're just speculating here, but maybe he plays four and a half games a week. It's like just on average. So some weeks five, some weeks four. Like four and a half games a week. That could become a little more interesting. Uh, I'm not completely against it, but it, it's just tough. It's very tough. Uh, at least Sanchez has the job for now. So if you want to pick between the two, maybe you go there. But I'm just finding myself at pick 220, looking at Garver going, as a catcher too, it's not the worst thing if, I, if I'm steady everywhere else. So it's just an, an interesting option with him because I could see if he starts hitting well, I could see him overtaking Jeffers a little bit more. So any other late catching targets that have your attention? Uh, late catcher targets that have my attention. Uh, yes, there are some. So Yadier Molina, um, again, as steady as, as steady as he goes, he's always good, you know, no real skill deterioration from past seasons, despite some increase in injuries, which is a little bit concerning, but a, a batting average positive from the catcher spot, which is nice, a decent amount of, um, decent amount of power, which he's kind of added a little bit more to his game um, in recent years and a little bit of speed as well, even though he's slow as molasses. So I like Yachty a lot. He's always, every year, he's a target of uh, a target of mine. Um, uh, Omar Narvaez is another one. I think he gets the bulk of the innings in Milwaukee. He showed that he could be a plus defensive catcher, at least from a framing perspective last year. And he wasn't able to put together the, the – the hitting, but you know, maybe that was because of the focus on the defensive piece, or maybe it was just the shortened season. So I think that's something. And again, another guy who could be a batting average positive from the catcher position there. Um, Jacob Stallings just for plate appearances. I think he's going to get the vast majority of the, of the opportunity in Pittsburgh and, and he's not a drain in batting average either. Uh, Max uh, Stasi, I know that there's a question about him later on, but I like a, what he did a lot last year. So that's a possibility. Um, I'll leave I'll leave your guy for you. The last one I'll mention probably is Jose Trevino. 
Um, I think that everybody's focused on Jonah Heim, but I think that he's going to get the vast majority of plate appearances in Texas, hit in the middle of that lineup and, and be decently good. Um, so those are the guys that kind of have my uh, attention um, at the catcher position right now. Yeah, no, most of those check the boxes for me too. I like the Yachty call. Uh, a couple others, uh, Jeffers, like I mentioned, pick 325, hits for a decent average for catchers. Uh, it doesn't do much else for you there, but I don't mind him. I've been, I've always been a Navarro stand. I love the Stassi and Stallings. I have those guys in a lot of leagues right now. And then Elias Diaz at pick 404, hitting lead, uh, the lead catcher in Coors. Like that quite yeah. a bit as well. I think that's a fun one to, to take a pick at. And then I'm trying to think of who's my guy. That was your guy. Okay. okay. That was your guy. Diaz okay. was your guy. That's what okay. I was leaving for you. Okay, yeah. good. I was about to go, who else is it going to be? I guess Diaz. <laughs> I, between like Stassi, Stallings, and Diaz. I think Stassi, Stallings, and Diaz. I think if you look at a lot of my teams, I have like probably two of those on every team, if not one for sure, on every roster I have right now. Yeah, on the, on the DCs and best balls and stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I have a lot of those shares right now. So, like, it's just at-bats, pure at-bats. Like, you're totally. in a starting position player, pick 350 and later. Like, it's hard to find in those those leagues. Totally. So. And Diaz is another plus batting average guy. Yep. Who, you know, especially in Coors, that's going to play really well, I think. So, for sure. Big fan of his. Uh, let's head to the outfield. Like I mentioned, we're going to kind of hover around the top 150 ADP, kind of see where it goes from there. But, um, again, using from February 1st on, I wasn't going to go into a deep dive on the first round, but right now it's Acuna at two, Soto a little after four, Betts about five, Trout seven, Yelich 13th. You know, it's mainly the big four up top. Trout just keeps falling, and people keep, you know, saying he's the best, this, that, which no no hiding that, but when we're talking a fantasy game, steals are not there. That's why Betts, Soto, and Acuna are above him. I wasn't going to go super deep into this, but do you have any takes on the the top uh, first round targets? No, I think it generally makes sense to me. Um, I think Yelich is probably going to be a a steal where he's going. You know, not that you really get that many steals in the first round, but I just don't know if I buy the reasons why. Like, I don't know, you know, why Yelich struggled. I was listening to um uh, to Eno and and uh, Derek Van Riper on. Um, on uh, rates and barrels. And they were talking a little bit about the impact on video and the fact that it's, it's a lot about timing. And I think that was helpful in thinking about why he may have looked a little lost at the plate. And so now they're going to allow guys to use video in between innings and not with iPads where they can't steal signs, but they're able to kind of look and maybe time things a little bit better. So I think that has a big, a big issue, a big um, impact on Yelich. And I think, you know, maybe how, how that video piece can just get exacerbated is, you know, you start off and you don't have your timing to begin with because you have a shortened spring. And then you get in there and you don't have the tools that you usually use to help you time. So you start to struggle and then you're struggling. So you're pressing in addition to not having your timing down. And it just becomes this vicious cycle. And he said, I think for a few guys, we saw that where it's just him, Javi Baez, where it's just their line looks their The way they looked at the plate just was totally the opposite of how they've always looked at the plate. And so if Yelich can be anywhere close to what he's been in the past, you know, batting average will be a huge asset. Power will be an asset. Stolen bases will be an asset and, and he'll do fine in the counting stats. So, you know, uh, of all those, I think that's fine. I think they all look great. I think they're all stupendous, you know, Soto going at four, obviously he's amazing. I think a lot of people are 
maybe investing a little bit too much in that batting average that he had last year, which was pretty inflated. If my memory is serving me correctly, let's see. Yeah, the Babbitt bets 363. Um, the K rate fell considerably, but again, it's a small sample size, and it was also only the East and the pitching in the East, which was which was pretty atrocious last year. Um, the ground ball rate is still high. You know, previous seasons 208, uh, 282, and a 292 batting average. So again, a plus batting average but not necessarily the elite batting average. Like if you were to say who's going to have a better batting average this year, Soto or Betts, I would go, but Betts in a second, mm-hmm. um, you know? And, and so, so I don't think Soto again, he's incredible. He's just getting better. I don't know if I'd want to go with him at, at, at four. I think I'd want to, well, we know what you want. Probably go somewhere else. <laughs> you want your pitcher. We know that. Yeah, but even if I was going with a hitter there, you know, okay. I mean, um, yeah, even even with a, a hitter, I'd rather have Mookie. Um, you know, I'd. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just Mookie, but yeah, yeah, the Soto versus Mookie thing's interesting because Acuna's there. I don't mind. Like I've seen Soto going one in a few drafts here recently. Uh, the Mookie Betts versus Soto conversation is very, very interesting to me. Ray Murphy of Baseball HQ, he uh, wrote about it in um, the, one of his general manager pieces. And um, it was very, very interesting the way he broke it down, that just the consistency of Mookie Betts with the steals and all that good stuff. Like, Soto is amazing. I love Soto. Like, I probably would draft him just out of, like, passion over Betts. But if you really want to break down the, the actual picks and the fantasy aspect of it, outside of – probably homers, which I I would see Soto doing more than Betts, but not by a ton. Um, in that offense, Betts should score more runs. He should steal more bases. He should hit for a better average. So it's RBIs and home runs, which, hey, Toby, what can you find later in drafts? Totally. RBIs and home runs. So it's, a, it's an interesting discussion when you break it down of how good Mookie Betts is and what could take place there. So it's a – It'll be interesting. Like it's one of those where I kind of want to be like at you know pick six and just let them fall to me. Like that would be beautiful to me. But I, I, Betts is the only hitter I've drafted in the first round, and I got him at pick eight um, in one of my drafts. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd rather have Trey Turner straight up yeah. than Soto for sure. Um, I mean, the thing about Soto too. Guess what his home run per fly ball rate last year was? Um, like Forty-five because he's you're, you're probably throwing some number out there that he 30, overachieved. Thirty-six point one percent. I mean, I only mentioned close, because, <laughs> yeah, but because I think those types of numbers are important to consider for this year. Because the thing is, for Soto, we're like, oh man, he just hit whatever. What he hit three thirty, three fifty-one. He's got that batting average locked in. He's a three hundred hitter. But then it's like, well, he had a fifty-one percent ground ball rate. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, and he hit with a ton of power, more power than he's ever hit for before. And, you know, like he had a 36.1% home run per fly ball rate. That ground ball rate actually went up. He only had a very small percentage of his batted balls were fly balls. So it's just those types of things add up. And then you also get to the fact that he's like a center oppo guy. And I think yeah. with the ball being being deadened, the guys that hit it to center are the ones – that are good, likely to be impacted more because they, um, because they're hitting the ball further distance, and so the deadening of the ball has a greater impact. So all those things just combine to tell me that I think Soto is the one guy I think maybe is being priced poorly. Well, I will and not say, that I don't think he's good, but I just I just don't know 
I don't know. I will say Betts is also a center field guy, just like Soto. So that's true. Yeah, and he is one of the guys that they say that they think big, is going to lose yeah. the most home runs, big so. time. So that that's interesting. But when you look at just, uh, I pulled up Juan Soto on the pitch leaderboard here. He had a seventeen point nine percent barrel rate last year. Deserved barrel rate, still good, but eleven point five percent. So a mm-hmm. little bit of fun there. Like you know, Will Bacon five thirty four, Exo Bacon five twenty three, still good, but uh, it was still a step back. So you know, hard hit rate of almost over fifty one percent, dynamic hard hit rate of twenty seven point six, blast rate eleven point four. The dude's good. There's no hiding this at all. But uh, like you said, his BABIP was through the roof. Um, there's a couple other things that just kind of stand out that. Betts is interesting. That's all I'm going to say is it's it's a fun discussion, and I love Juan Soto. But I think Mookie Betts is definitely definitely should be considered where he's not being considered very often to go over a Juan Soto. Um, let's talk a little bit farther down the draft board now. Uh, the ninth outfielder off the board is Eloy Jimenez at pick 36. And then at pick 10 is Luis Robert at pick 36.1. So right behind him, basically teammates are going back-to-back is do you get the power guy with potentially a nice average, or do you get a potential power speed guy with no average? Where do you go on this one? Because I obviously took, uh, looking at my board here, I took Eloy in the Battle of the Pods League. I've been taking Eloy over Robert the whole time. But do you, uh, do you, do you like Lou Bob? No, you know, I would go Eloy here. I think it's really a question of batting average versus stolen bases in a lot of respects. But it's not just that. I mean, because it's it's that, right? Because that's really what what uh, Robert has is stolen speed that Eloy doesn't. Eloy's going to hit more home runs, probably. He's going to drive in more runs. He's going to score more runs because he's probably going to be hitting cleanup or fifth. And Robert is probably going to be further back in the lineup, um, especially since his OBP is is not going to be uh, is not going to be great. And so I think there's more concerns for me there. So the question becomes one of, is it easier for me to make up stolen bases later, or is it easier for me to make up batting average later? And I think the easy answer to that is stolen bases. I think it's much easier to make up stolen bases this year than it is batting average. You know, there are uh, a a few guys going kind of in the middle of the drafts where you're taking a similar batting average concern that you have with Robert but you have similar upside in terms of stolen bases. You obviously don't have the power, um, you know, but, but you're also talking 130 picks later, right. Where you can get some of those guys. So for me, I'm going Eloy in that situation. I love Eloy. I think Eloy is fantastic. I have no problem drafting him any point in the, in the third round. I'd be happy to do that. So for me, it's Eloy all day, but I understand why people would go with Robert. You know, Bears got that. It's like it's like the Kyle Tucker syndrome almost. If it clicks, he could be amazing, but uh, I, I still don't know if he'll ever hit for average. So that's where it gets to. Like at least with Kyle Tucker, you pretty much imagine there's an average there. Um, with Eloy, you know, you're getting thirty to forty home run guy with a two eighty average. That's not easy to find. Like it really isn't. It's JD Martinez type stuff. And we used to draft JD Martinez here or earlier. Uh, he's not going to steal bases, like you said. It just comes down to what you do with Eli, or with with Lou Bob. There's a lot of question marks there, a lot of volatility. He's one of those guys we talk about with like Kyle Tucker and some others. If you want to try to win an overall, okay, I could see you going with with Lou Bob there to try to, to try to catch fire. But I've heard um, some people talk about it recently. 
I think it was a White Sox beat reporter or someone else that what if Lou Bob struggles early? Like dude, Tony La Russa, he's, he likes his vets. What's he going to do? Does he go, Hey, he needs some time in the minors, get some, get his head straight. What do they do with him? It'd be hard to see, but you never know. It'd be interesting. It'd be very, very interesting. That kind of discussion. So something to keep in mind well, there. Robert is, has a he's got a long term deal though six years fifty million. Yeah, but it's not a, it's not like an expensive long term deal. If it's like hey kid go spend spend a month in AAA and figure it out. Yeah, uh, it's just yeah. he's so young still. Yeah, but yeah, I mean he's elite defensively though too. So I think True. he contributes either way. But um, I mean, and I Tony Larusso. Tony Larusso. I know Tony Larusso is a big <laughs> question I have in the back of my mind. I mean, the thing though about between Robert and Tucker is Robert's contact rate last year was sixty-two percent. You know, um, Tucker's was right around league average, if not slightly above league average. You know, and so that I think is the challenge. Is I've mentioned this a couple times on podcasts. Is I really early on, like I'm thinking about error bars on players and like who I don't want. I don't necess- I don't really want that that um i mean i want ceiling of course but all the guys you're getting there have ceiling so i want the guy that's least likely to be an absolute dud from there and i think in that this particular case it's it's eloy and i think there's more power that eloy can tap into he's also got a very high ground ball rate um you know which is one of the reasons why he also has a high uh, relatively high batting average i think because he hits tall fields but um you know he could he could definitely a five percent increase in that decrease in that ground ball rate and we could be talking about 50 plus home runs from him. So I can get pretty wild there. Um, let's talk about uh, some young and some old some new faces, new places type situations. You got Starling Marte, 12th outfielder off the board at pick 47, going right behind with a new Toronto Blue Jay, George Springer at pick 48. So it's an interesting spot here. Starling Marte, kind of steady Eddie, 2020 type guy, good batting average, seems to be underappreciated more often than not, but still very good. Now you got George Springer going to a phenomenal hitting environment, potentially. We don't really know that for sure just yet. Uh, and a very, very loaded lineup and probably hitting in the middle of that order. So where do you stand on these two? Yeah, for me, it's going to be Marte um, in this particular instance, just because I think he's got the leg up on Springer in both batting average and stolen bases, obviously. Springer's going to score a ton of runs. The power is going to be really nice. Everything will be will be great. But he's not helping to build that batting average cushion for me the way that Marte is, I think. And he's not also going to provide those stolen bases. So Marte is an interesting one because I love him. And I, I don't think I have him on any teams yet. Just because of where he falls seems to fall just a little bit off where it's like I'm choosing between him and Alex Bregman, you know, around like pick 44, 45. And I just can't not take out Alex Bregman in that particular instance. But um yeah, so I'd go. I'd go with Marte. Yeah, I'm with you too. Like, I think I have like one or two shares of Marte so far, but um, he just seems to just yeah, no love goes his way. It feels like this year after everyone like Todd Zola and company took him so early a year or two ago and kind of set the curve on him. It's I guess maybe it's going to Miami. I don't know what it is, but uh, he's been pretty quiet on the Marte front. But I'll be back on that train. I like George Springer. It's fun to see what he's doing, but. You mentioned the no stolen bases, probably lower average. So that's a nice differentiating factor for me as well. Another fun one here, Marcelo Zuna has re-signed in Atlanta, um, and he's the 14th um, outfielder off the board at pick 55. Going right after him at the 15th outfielder, Randy Arozarena at pick 56. So I find this one interesting. You have Ozuna coming off an MVP caliber season. 
got Rosarena coming off an MVP caliber postseason and all the hype train behind him. The difference, main difference, stolen bases, of course. But at least with Ozuna, we've seen it for like more than three weeks. So what's your thoughts on these two? Yeah, it's tough. Rosarena is a huge issue for me because we have such a small sample size to deal with. And despite that, all of the projections love him, but I cannot seem to find myself taking him. I have not drafted him a single time, even though he would fit some needs for my teams in that particular place. And I just think it's again, like an error bars thing where, you know, we have such a small sample from, from a Rosarena, anything could happen next year. Anything could happen. Um, and that includes him being absolutely fantastic, but I just question whether he's going to steal as much. Maybe, I don't know. The batting average, the lack of contact, it all worries me. So my, my, my mind tells me Azuna, I would probably go with there. Although I think he's, he way overperformed last year. But I think he's still in a great spot. He's hitting cleanup in that lineup in Atlanta, which is going to be really good. Um, so I would I would probably lean in Ozuna in that particular instance, even though it kind of go, cuts against my like desire for speed there. But I just think that Ozuna's solid. He's been solid for a long time, even in his worst season. He's still helpful, and he has the potential to. Contributing at least four categories, and yeah, maybe a few stolen bases here and there, but I think that twelve with St. Louis is is a thing of the past. Yeah, I'm not counting the steals with him. It's mainly give me some good power, run production, decent average. I, I just know, like you said, we've seen it with with Ozuna. The hard hit, like the stat cast metrics have been there pretty much this whole time, so it's not like a fluky thing in that regards. Um, I, I'd go that way. A Rosarena, I'm not gonna say I have a couple shares of him when he's fallen in drafts, but. I'm not targeting him like other people are. Like people are jumping drafts to get him. I'm just like you. I'm kind of concerned at the same time. Like I see the upside. So in certain leagues, I take the chance. They're best balls. They're DCs where I have, you know, deep, deeper uh, player pools and can make adjustments where I need to. But there is serious concern, like serious concern about has he done this before? Um, I'm just not as confident as some other people are that are willing to take him like in round three or something. That's, that's pretty pretty gutsy for me. It's like he's a risk. Like he's not maybe an injury risk, but he's a massive risk. Like you mentioned the air bars. There's a lot could, that could go wrong just as much as a lot can go right with Randy Rosarena. So let's see it first. That's, that's just the biggest thing. Let's see. He's, he's played a total of 42 Major League Baseball games. So I have, I have an idea, Bubba. Yeah. Let's see what the – well, the interprojection standard deviation isn't going to be that – I mean, every every projection system likes. Yeah, they're all pretty. Right? They're all pretty similar too. They're all twenty twenty type guys with a two sixty ish average. I'm going to try this out. Okay, let's see. We got Ozuna. He's got a three point three two inter uh, projection standard deviation on ATC. Arosa Rena has a five point four eight. Yes. There you, there you go. This is what we call, ladies and gentlemen, confirmation bias. I am looking. I am looking for a data point to confirm my intuition that I should stay away from Randy Orezarena. And I found it with the inter projection standard deviation courtesy of the ATC projection system. That, ladies and gentlemen, 
is how you do fantasy analysis. <laughs> what do you tell people that don't believe in projections? What's that? What do you tell people that don't believe in projections? Go ahead. Don't believe in projections. You do what you you do you. Yes, you do you, boo-boo. Um, all right, the next guy I want to talk about here, it's a fun one because right after the season ended, Teoscar Hernandez was a very, very popular name, and everybody wanted a piece of him, but it seems like he's slowly kind of falling down drafts. He's a 21st outfielder off the board, almost a pick 80. I've seen articles saying he's a bust now and so many other things. Like when we talked about it before, you know, you can wait around or so and take Guriel as teammate. There's a lot of similarities there, but people are really starting to kind of sour a little bit more on T. Oscar. You know, still protected it in the middle of the Blue Jays order. Could be a very, very productive situation there. Um, still projected hit 30 plus homers around 10 bags. Not a good average guy. Are you out on T. Oscar? Are you in on T. Oscar? I know he was big for you last year. I am out on Teoscar. I do not have him on any one of my teams. Um, I think I think there's so much to love. I mean, the quality of contact is exceptional. You know, he stole a ton of bases, so maybe he'll do that again. But I just think that the the swing and miss is still there, right? He's pretty similar to the guy who he was before. And the thing that maybe has changed a little bit is he's swinging. I mean, even his O swing was worse last year. His contact rate was worse last year, right? And so it's just what he was able to do with that quality of contact. But he also had a 33% home run per fly ball rate, you know? Um, he had a 25.8% line drive rate. So that dip in ground balls went um pretty exclusively to his line drive rate, you know, which is, which is boosting up that batting average along with the 348 Babbitt. But if, if we're, I mean, his projection for batting average, a high of four of 248 and a low of 239, you know? And so it's just over the course of a longer season, I think it's really hard to see him keeping up what he's doing another major question mark for me is the speed because he is decently fast and he was successful at stealing bases, but it was kind of the first time he's been successful. And I just don't know. I just don't see it happening. I just don't know if he's going to get to double digit stolen bases. So again, beautiful, beautiful player to Oscar Hernandez loved him Love what he did last year, but I just don't know if it's it's if it's sustainable over a longer period of time, and especially with the crowded situation they have there, um, it's just a few too many questions for me to snag him right there. Error yeah. bars—that's my new saying. Error bars. Roto Wear needs to make a T-shirt. Error bars, pocket aces, and error bars. He should have two shirts by now. Um, I've got a yeah. game. I've got a game. There you go. Uh, T. Oscar is – he's a tough one. Like, we, I loved him last year because of where he's getting drafted. Now you have to, like, make decisions. You know, like, Nick Castellanos is right behind him. Guriel, who we've talked about. Some other guys are, are – like, Eddie Rosario becomes an interesting discussion with T. Oscar Hernandez. So, it's just nothing against T. Oscar. I think we saw his ceiling last year, or pretty close to it, and you're paying for his ceiling. And that's something we, you should never want to do when you draft. Nothing you can't do, you should never want to do. So um, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to pass on him as well. It really stinks. But if he keeps falling, then we'll have a discussion because 
if he gets out of like pick 100 or so, maybe a little farther down, it becomes a lot more interesting because I'll have my stolen bases feel a little better about that and we'll, we'll have a, a better discussion. The next out floor. Let, let me ask you a question here. Where do you think Teoscar Hernandez, this is the game. Where do you think Teoscar Hernandez's inter projection standard deviation lies between Ozuna and a Rosarena? Right in the middle of them. I think he's a smart man. He's right around four. So what Ariel essentially said is under three is really good. Um, over four is not very good. He's right around four. Um, so he's, like so he's kind of in between. Yeah. I like it. You know what that says? Randy Rosarena is worse than Teoscar Hernandez. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about suffered through COVID last year, just did not look anything like his normal self, and that's Austin Meadows, 25th outfielder off the board to pick 95. Some people are still in love with him, um, but some are kind of fading away. I have zero shares of Austin Meadows. I don't know what to think of because watching him in the postseason, he just looked like a shell of himself. But, hey, maybe it was Cody. He's talked about that it was a tough battle for him health-wise and everything. He had 205 on the season, a 288 Babbitt, usually a 330-type Babbitt guy. Struck out 33% of the time, usually 20 to 22%. Um, it's just a massive just down, down season for Austin Meadows. But uh, he's coming back after a full offseason, should be healthy. This is a guy that we were drafting, you know, top 20-ish outfielder last year. So what's your thoughts on Meadows going into 2021? God, you keep on asking all these questions about guys that I have very poor justifications for my position on them because I absolutely loved Meadows heading into last year. You know, I just, I loved him. I had no problem drafting him in the third round, you know? Um, And now I'm like, I have him on one team because he fell to like pick 110 or something like that. So, but I also think that he's a guy where I think spring training does tell me a little bit of something, you know, just from a health perspective. And as we learn a little bit more about what he was going through last year, not just only with the COVID, but I believe he had like an elbow or shoulder or something like that, that was bothering him as well. So right now he's not a priority for me. I'll I'll draft him if he falls far enough, but I will be interested to see how he looks in spring training and what we learn, maybe a little bit of how he was feeling Last year, I think that will be instructive for what what happened, how I feel about him in drafts. Because he does, you know, I mean, towards the end of 2019, he was just on absolute fire. Like, everything was just on fire. Like, the contact rate, the plate discipline, the quality of contact, it was all wonderful. Um, and so he's capable of that. And, and around pick 80, 90, I mean, that's becomes a little bit intriguing if I feel if I feel good about him there. Yeah, the more and more I think about Austin Meadows, I need to kind of – I need to do my best to forget about 2020. I know we can't say – we say you probably shouldn't forget about everything because a small sample is still a sample. But, uh, you know, documented COVID stuff, it's, it makes it a little more kind of justifiable because he was so far off. Like, it wasn't like he was just bad. Like, he was just so far off from his previous seasons. So it, it makes me kind of think – okay, maybe I'm overthinking this one. I need to dig in some more because where he's getting drafted is very intriguing for a guy that could hit you like 25 homers and potentially steal you like 15 bases with a good average, scoring a lot of runs at that point in the draft. That's intriguing. That's very, very intriguing. Would you be shocked if he outperformed Randy Rosarena this year? 
No. Okay. But let me ask you a question. What is Austin Meadows interprojection standard deviation? 3.2. It's 5.8. Ooh. It's higher than a Rosa Rennes. Ooh, that is bad. Yeah. So I mean, but it 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 again, confirmation bias speaking, it's a data point that reflects our emotions, right? The volatility, um, the volatility is hard to pin down. It's hard to um, I guess a different way to say it is it's hard to have a really firm position or a really firm belief on somebody that has so much volatility, you know, um, because all of those are, they're all possibilities and we know that. And so it's really hard to pin down, oh, I think Meadows is going to hit the 75th percentile of his projection. It's like, you know, there's a lot of things that factor into that. And and some of the and every all of those things are out of our control. So I don't know. It's just interesting. That's Side tricky. note, that's yeah, it's, that's very interesting. Those um, are the types of guys I want to I want to get later in drafts. Yes, right, because we know that they have ceiling in that particular instance. Definitely. So, that's why. Yeah, if he falls some more, like get past pick one hundred, we'll start talking some more. It could be yeah. quite interesting. Uh, another little debate here: players that we compared going into last season is very similar. Projection systems have them very similar again. Tommy Pham, 32nd outfielder out the board, pick 130. Ramon Laureano, 35th outfielder out the board, to pick 139. Both had some down seasons, battled some injuries. Tommy Pham uh, picked up a heck of a scar this offseason as well. So it, it's it's interesting because, you know, Laureano's younger, both similar profiles. Where do you go on these two? I'm Laureano. I'm Team Laureano this year. You know, fam, I've always loved fam. I love fam. Um, and, and you know, if, if they if they were to play the same amount of play appearances, I'd be all over fam. But yeah. fam is older by about five years. He's, you know, he's, you know, so, and then there's the, it's, it's the stabbing, but it's also the injury. It's the age. It's the way he plays, right? I mean, all of those things, it's the Padres. We talked about kind of fading Padres, I think, a little bit on the last podcast. You know, there's there's reason to believe that they will rest him on a decent amount. You know, all those things are going to are gonna factor into it. And for me, Laureano is a great uh, um, example of a guy who, by all, by almost every, every metric, actually improved last year, but his outcomes didn't improve. And not only that, but he's probably going to be taking over Semyon's spot on the top of the A's lineup, Elvis Andrews is not going to be at the top of that lineup. No. Um, Laureano, I think, has a good shot of doing that or batting second. And and I think, you know, and I'm all over it. And I think the projections are low on him um, because I think especially with stolen bases. I mean, he's 26, so he's yes, he's gotten a little bit older, but a full complement of plate appearances – and I think Laureano is, um, I think he's really good. I think he's, I think I, I, he's a guy that I have on a, a number of, di- of my different teams. So, yeah, it, it's a fun one because I've always been team fam like you have. I even started the offseason as team fam. But the more the Padres made acquisitions, the more complicated this got. And you just started looking at it more. And the more I look at, at Laureano, I was, I was big on Laureano last year. It, um, it swayed me. It has swayed me for sure, especially when Simeon's didn't come back. And like you mentioned, potentially leading off, which we saw in the past with Laureano, and he flourished at the top of that A's order. 
there's just so many things pointing in the right direction. Give me a healthy Loriano, top of that order. Really shouldn't have too many playing time issues, as you mentioned. Sure, the ballpark sucks to hit in. There's no hiding that, but <laughs> for sure, you know he, he could get on, get some doubles, steal some bags. Like he can hit his home runs on the road. I'm not looking for 30 home runs from Loriano. Give me 20 to 25, but go steal me 20 bags and hit for a good average and score a bunch of runs because the A's will score runs. They do it every year, even when you think their lineup garbage. They score a bunch of runs. It's just what the A's do. So I like Loriano quite a bit at this point. He's one of the – both these guys, don't get me wrong, are good for it. But later in the draft, if you're looking for another kind of big stolen base spot, this is a good one to to go and grab between the the fams, the Lorianos. There's a couple more here before it really drops off. I think this is a, a good spot for Loriano, kind of a one of the last few five-category guys you can you can find in a draft. So – Big fan of that. Yeah, and one thing about his projection is is it has him lower on batting average. That's why in a lot of projection systems, he actually doesn't come out that great because he's got the 249 batting average. But I believe in in a higher batting average than hey, that. 288 the first two seasons where he got hurt. So Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a, I think he's a BABIP. Um, yeah, both 340 or better. Yeah, yeah and – and um and so there's so that that keeps the the value at least auction value because I actually don't have them as a steal in my projections but I think that's where you you try to kind of maybe incorporate some of the some of your own beliefs into the system but twenty two ten and guess what his inter projection standard deviation is let's go three point two two point oh, zero that's eight I mean the guy's locked in like with this inner projection standard deviation like that I don't think you can miss. I don't think he can be bad, but that's all to say around pick 150. That's tremendous, right? Like the projections are solid on his value and it's 249 with 22 home runs and 10 stolen bases at the top of that lineup. Um, And for me, that's, that's great. And that's with only 586 plate appearances. And yeah, he's had trouble staying healthy because he's just the guy who plays that way, but if he can stay healthy and he hits at the top of that lineup, that's a lot more plate appearances that you're going to get. So, um, and for the guys that I like, I like to I like to think half glass full. There you go. And and a lot of it is it's you know it was the health and you look at his, his overall hit profile. His fly ball rate dropped from twenty seven to sixteen percent. Pop up rate was over ten percent. His weak contact went from one point six to six point three. So there's a lot of things pointing in the direction that he was hurt. I think it was a wrist injury or a hand injury or something that he had. So it makes sense. Make a lot of sense of why things were the way they were. And um, I, I, I'm much more confident in things. Getting back on the right track there for Mr. Ramon Lariano. Uh, another fun one coming up here, um, Dylan Carlson. He's going to get the everyday job. Not really a concern there. He finished the postseason hitting cleanup for the Cardinals. After he uh, got sent down and brought back, he started hitting really well. 36th outfielder off the board, about pick 140. Mike Yastrzemski, 37th outfielder at pick 143. So going right next to each other in drafts. One's the up-and-coming young star. Yastrzemski's showing himself to be pretty good for a couple years. Uh, but it's still in San Francisco. So where do you go with these two? Because Yastrzemski, we've seen it. Carlson, we're still hoping to see it. Bubba, I don't want to hurt you. Oh. I, I, but I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with a little bit of upside here, and I'm going to go with Carlson. I don't blame you. Um, I think Carlson, you know, he's – I only have him on one or two teams – but he's definitely a guy that I think could really take a huge step forward. Like if we're talking about him, you know, who's who might actually be a good, I don't know if this is a good comp because I don't do prospects, but Austin Meadows is actually kind of like a good comp for him in the sense that they have fairly similar profiles, right? They can steal, they can hit for a little pop. 
maybe the pop is a little under appreciated, um, can hit for batting average as well. Uh, I think Meadows was going like around maybe pick ADP of 180 or so, you know, back in 2019. But another example of a guy who can be a five category contributor if things go the right way. And I think even if he's not, you know, even if they don't go the right way, I think he can contribute solidly. And I think he can contribute in a lot of categories. And so that gives you a little bit more confidence, maybe that um, that he will be able to contribute um, and that he won't be he won't be too much of a of a suck. I haven't gotten him a lot of times, though, just because some of the other guys that are going in this range for me are just a little bit more interesting. Yeah, Carlson is a pure upside pick at this point, but I don't hate it. I, I take Carlson over Yaz, too. I wrote up Carlson a couple weeks ago at Rotoballer as a fantasy sleeper. Like He's not getting drafted at the draft pick of a sleeper, but when it comes to outfielders, if you believe he's got the Austin Mills profile, he's a sleeper because he's going to finish much higher for next year's draft. Um, and I'm a big fan of what we saw. The, the changes he made in his approach at the plate between the first part of the season, getting sent to the alt site, coming back up, the way he could hit off-speed pitches better because they were feeding him off-speed pitches like crazy early on. He couldn't hit him. He figured that out, so he got more fastballs. Next thing you know, his hard hit rates through the roof, his barrel rates through the roof. Everything is just awesome for Dylan Carlson that second half. Like two completely different seasons on a shortened season. So like it's super small samples. Like so, if you want to get mad at that, yes, fine. But that's all I have to deal with. That's all I have. So you you pick what you got. But I, I love the upside there. We saw him break out in two thousand nineteen in the minors. Power speed combo guy. He, um, uh, there's, there's a lot to like Dylan Carlson. He's still 22 years old, uh, hitting in that lineup is going to be pretty darn good. I like it a lot. Like Yaz is good. Yaz is kind of a, a steady guy, but if they're going to deaden the ball in that ballpark, are you freaking kidding me? Like that's terrifying. Plus it's the giants. It's just give me Dylan at that point all day long. No questions asked. Last question I have for you here when it comes to the outfielders. This is a guy that was going really early in drafts last year. We pretty much were laying off the bike there. But now Victor Robles is the 40th outfielder off the board at pick 149. This seems like if you don't have stolen bases yet, you're taking a chance. What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, with Robles, I think he's fine where he's going right now. I think he's fine. Um, a guy that I really liked actually heading into last year, but I think we've now seen him be pretty overmatched for two consecutive years, which is not to say that he, that that will continue to happen. I think my biggest issue with Robles and why I don't, um, and why I don't have him on a lot of my teams. I think I have him on one or two is just that. I think I kind of like Laodie Tavares better. And I think that that is the challenge for me, because when I think about the difference between those two, right, number one, Robles, like playing, like playing time. I mean, Tavares, there's a huge range of outcomes, but it seems like from every single thing I've heard, he is the starting center fielder and the leadoff hitter for the Rangers. And they're going to give him every chance to do that. And if that's the case, he's hitting leadoff and Robles is hitting ninth. I don't think there's much argument to be made about the fact that Tavares has more pop, you know, I mean, maybe they're similar, you know, but, and then from a speed perspective, I mean, just the plate appearance difference with Tavares and the situation, um, you know, I think so that, so I think that's been one of the challenges that I've been struggling with a little bit with Robles. 
I also think I, I would rather maybe draft Robles in a in a fab league, I think, as well, where I feel a little bit like, you know, I have some ability to maneuver things around a little bit, whereas with a DC, it's just locked in. So I think he's fine where he's going. Still think that there's upside. He could still be great. He's still young. Um, but I struggle a little bit with some of the other comps in this area or other outfielders that are going like, like uh, Michael Brantley, for instance, like one of the last bastions of a batting average in, in your drafts. Like I kind of just would rather get him and get snagged Tavares a little bit later or, you know, um, you know, even like a Lorenzo Kane, who, yes, he's old, but he's also had a season off and he can hit for a higher batting average, you know, so that's just kind of how I'm feeling about Robles right now. Yeah, I like Robles. I, I, Robles, I think he's going in the right spot. Like you said, the projections are intriguing to me because like in 2019, we saw 17 homers, 28 steals, 255, and 155 games. Still hitting at the bottom of the order there for the most part. Not bad numbers. And the projection sites kind of see that as the kind of season he's going to get. 15 to 18 homers, 25-ish uh, stolen bases, 250-ish average. It's not bad. It's a pretty it's a pretty good setup there at that point in the draft. I like Tavares. I took Tavares in the Battle of the Pods League. I think there's a lot to like with him leading off, like you mentioned. Don't disagree with any of that. Um, what does your ATC differentiation say for Robles? Because I'm, I'm very curious because that projection. Oh, Robles' is interprojection standard deviation is 4.84. Yeah. So it's not, not, not Randy or Rosarena, so we're good. It's not good. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's interesting. He only hasn't projected for 20 stolen bases, too. Yeah, they for um, 15 and 20, but all the other sites like him a little bit better than ATC. They do, yeah. Yeah, and that and you can see that in the inter um, skewness of the projection. That ATC has him a little bit on the lower side. So um, definitely yeah. one to monitor because he's one I could see. He he comes at a, a good price point. That's the best way I can say it. He's not going to crush you at that point in the draft where last year we had to take him. It was going to be tr- tough to pay off type thing. But I, I like him at this point in the draft. If I'm looking for steals. Tavares leading off is definitely a great argument there. I still like I like Robles as well. Like I could live with either one. I'd probably take Tavares just for that the spot in the order we're talking about there. But there's something about Robles. It just takes like one injury and he's back to the top of the order. And then that gets really, really tasty in that lineup. So um yeah, that's where I'm gonna be on that one for now. But no, uh, no who Robles pairs well with who we talked about earlier. Let me think. Let me think. Eloy Jimenez. Eloy. It's a yeah. nice little pairing there. Very good pairing. Very good pairing. There you go. Make your pairs, folks. Some Pocket people think about pairings of wine with food. On this podcast, pairings of fantasy baseball outfield. Home runs and stolen bases. We have you taken care of. Sure. Um, all right. Let's have some listener questions up here. We have some good ones this week, as always. And we'll kick it off with at Chris 72 Chris G. Who is the best catcher in baseball, and why is it yes, Monty Grendel? This is why I didn't put JT Real Muto on the floor because now you have the floor. Um, the best catcher in baseball is JT Real Muto. Let's be <laughs> honest with each other. Uh, it depends. We only talk about fantasy baseball on this podcast because I do not have the knowledge or skills to talk about regular baseball. Um, so I would go with JT Real Muto in that particular instance. But Yasmani definitely has a good shout for just overall baseball player. Yeah. Um, he's very, although, his defense vacuum is very good. Yeah. 
So yeah, but yeah, KT fantasy can't really can't really argue that one too much. Yeah. No way. Uh, he's, he's the best real catcher. Let's be honest. He's very good as a defensive catcher, too. So. Very true. Uh, MLB Moving Averages asks, sell us on paying up for catcher Toby. I'm such a cheapskate when I see the limited plate appearances, I get shook off and always seem to be late to the party. I've drafted with John. We've seen John talk in our, our podcast chat, and he does a lot of best balls and everything, and he always takes catchers late. Like we saw it in the Battle of the Podcast Leagues. He's one of the last guys to take catchers. So sell him, Toby, because you've sold me and you've sold others. Heck, on Labor tonight, Jeff Erickson goes, um, Cole, Gilito, JTR, I thought you were drafting for him. So that's pretty good. Oh, like, like Gilito Cole, I was over the moon for when he threw JTR Gilito in there. Just, and, I mean – that's ridiculous. How does that happen? In How is that an expert league? <laughs> How does Cole and Geo? How do you do that in yeah. a fifteen-team league? That is impossible. Yeah. It's like insane. I, I don't even know. I don't know what to do. I mean, it's beautiful, and kudos to Jeff Erickson. That's an incredible, um, incredible start. The thing is, uh, John, who is MLB moving averages, you answered your own question in wait you answered your own question in your question which was plate appearances plate appearances plate appearances plate appearances that is what differentiates the elite catchers from the not so elite catchers because not only are they good from a skills perspective but they also get the bulk of the playing time so that's why i think that rail muto salvi Contreras. You know, Grundahl. I mean, some of that is skill with those guys and some of it isn't. But, you know, I talked about this, I think, fairly inarticulately. Maybe it was last week or it was it was some other thing I was talking about. But it's just like the the idea of like, I mean, with JTR, he's special because of the stolen bases. They're just they're just worth more on a catcher. They're worth more to everything. Like if you think about your fantasy team, not as like a puzzle, but as as a, you know, as this ever-changing, you know, just this thing that you need to, you need to, that's ever-evolving. It's an ever-evolving puzzle. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that. <laughs> I was going to say something about like nurturing or something like that, but I just couldn't, I couldn't pull it off. But like, I think catchers just give you, for me, they give me give you such a phenomenal advantage. Like, number one, there are very few instances where catchers become elite like JTR or Salvi. Like, there's very few catchers who make that step up. And I feel a lot more confident in my ability to get an outfielder who is skilled who makes that jump to the next level than I am about getting a catcher who does that and also gets the same plate appearance boost that you generally need. Now, there are always, there are always exceptions to the rule. But the fewer number of exceptions to the rule that there are, I think, um, the more challenging. Like when I think about a team build and I get JTR, you know, early on in a draft, I think about, wow, I'm like 25 runs and 25 RBIs ahead of the guy who's just waiting to draft every other catcher who hits 240 with 50 to 55, 50 to 55 and, and 15. You know, that's the way I think about it is the significant advantage that I'm getting over you. Now it creates roster construction concerns, depending on how you build your team, because, you know, if you don't get JTR and you go for Salvi, you're not necessarily getting the batting average boost. Although compared to other catchers, you are, you're not necessarily getting the speed. 
So you're paying more for the boost that you get in your in your counting stats and in your power, you know, with him and some of the other guys. So I think there's less of a case to be made for those guys. But I just think of it as a huge, you know, I just think of it as a significant advantage when you have two really good, one really good catcher and two really good catchers. I really want to get two really good catchers this year. I've really been trying to prioritize that in my DCs and not just my DCs. I think in my fab leagues, I really want to do this that this year as well. And when I think about the year, the the year and what I anticipate, I just I anticipate having you know to continue to have a lot of volatility in 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 pitchers. Um, I think that that's going to be similar to next year. We have all these questions about inning pitches and like how people are going to use them, six man rotations. We have all these questions, which I think for me boosts the value of starting pitching, elite starting pitching even more. And I think what we saw last year is we saw guys who hitting wise can take that next step. You know, with all of the, everything that we're learning about, you know, hitting and how to be a better hitter, there are guys that can take that step. And so for me, locking down those catching positions with and feeling like I have that significant advantage at a position that other people are going to be weak in, it makes me feel powerful. And, and I feel like I trust myself more to find values at other positions that I feel more confident in or to stream those other positions, you know, to, to churn out that value, but it's not for everybody. You know, I'm not saying that this is universally an approach that everybody should take. I think some people feel very confident in their ability to get late catchers that, that can contribute. And there's some research that says that that's, that, that that's a thing too. I think Ariel Cohen has done research on that. Um, and so that's all just to say is as I think about the puzzle, about the living, breathing puzzle that I'm trying to create in my fantasy baseball team. And I'm trying to create a roster that is adaptable, that's flexible, that, um, you know, that can be really good. That, that roster for me involves at least one good catcher, if not two good catchers. Yeah, makes sense. Makes total sense. Like I said, you sold me on it over the last <laughs> years recording with you. So I don't know. What's the interprojection standard deviation of? No, no, we're not. We're not going there. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Um, guilds at the underscore guilds ask Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk. Who are you taking at their current ADP? Which let me tell you what that is real quick. Uh, Kirk's ADP. I just. Oh, I gotta get back to catchers. I was looking at that earlier though. Um, catchers ADP. Alejandro Kirk is at three thirty-seven. The twenty-third catcher off the board. Danny Jansen, nineteenth catcher at three ten. So I'm about twenty-five picks apart. Um, I'm still going Jansen for now, but I like Kirk a lot. It's just it's Jansen's job, and his defense is going to keep him there for at least a little bit. Yeah, this is a tough question for me because my answer is is neither, and I'll tell you why. Because at least in a fab league, in a fab league, you can't really draft Kirk if he's not going to be on the major league roster to start off with, which is highly likely. Just because, as Bumpa mentioned, it's just so freaking difficult, especially without knowing that they're going to come up to use one of your seven NFBC roster slots. And I'm assuming, you know, that that. Um, uh, Andrew is asking this question, you know, from an NFBC perspective, because that's what he plays. He's a very good NFBC player. Um, and so I think I don't want, I don't want Kirk for that reason. And if I've gotten to the point where I'm going to draft Danny Jansen, I'd rather just wait. Yeah. That's the thing is if I don't have that really good catcher, 
I'd rather just wait, yeah. you know, like around where Jansen's going, like, you know, I, I, he's going around 308. It's like, just wait and get Narvaez. Yeah. You know, just wait and try for Stasi. Just yeah. wait and get Stallings. Just wait and get Diaz. Just wait and get Trevino. You know, like that's, that's how I feel pretty passionately about the catcher position is if I am going to get a catcher two that, that I don't feel great about or that I have to ask questions about. Like I like Yachty and I'm willing to go there, but he's also kind of old. And so it makes me think like, why not use that pick, which is a value and which there's some really interesting guys going at those different spots and wait a little bit and get a guy going later. So I'm not ans answering, your, answering your question. I mean, yes, Jansen over Kirk because he's probably going to be playing to begin with and you can't afford to have Kirk there. Kirk is a, is a potential league winner too, though, just because if he does get those, those spots, but they don't really need him. Like their skill set yeah. that they need is not necessarily that. Um, and so I would say neither. I'd say wait and get a later catch or two. Yeah, it's just a playing time thing. Kirk reminds me way too much of Williams Astadio a year or two ago. Like the profile, the hit tool is great. Where's he going to play? It's just a crappy situation for the time being. I'd love to see Kirk come up there, but for now, he's not there. His other question was in uh, thoughts on Stassi as a late catcher two in DCs. Yes, we're both on board there. That's yeah, a, I mean, I think, and, and since that you asked that question too, I mean, I would say just wait and get Stassi. Um, although, you know, the Kirk Suzuki thing, we got to see how the playing time shakes out. But the things that I liked about that I saw with Stassi last year, you know, walk rate was way up. Um, he's always had good plate discipline, at least the last four years. He's had good plate discipline. So that was nice to see. He was able to maintain that. But he also boosted up that contact rate significantly up to about league average, which is great. And then I want to say his stack cast data was also um, better. Um yeah, so barrel rate at 11.1%, exit velo at 91. Did that ground ball rate come down too? Yeah, the ground ball rate came down by about 5%, which is really nice to see for that power perspective. So some encouraging signs. Again, it was only 105 plate appearances, um, but certainly encouraging. And if Stasi doesn't work out, you can always churn and burn that catcher two spot based on the matchups that you see happening. All right, uh, breaking Ben underscore T asks, Toby, do you think I wasted a pick on Varsho based on where I took him in our DC? For reference, it was round 10. Ben, I told you when you signed up for the DC that I was not going to answer another one of your questions ever again, especially after what you did to me drafting Keston Hira right when I was going to draft him for the first time this year. Unacceptable. I refuse to answer the question. Uh, no, we talked about Varsho, I think, pretty extensively. I would not draft him now where he's going just because I think there's there's a little bit too much concern. But actually, let me actually do this. I'll take a look at your team, Ben. Um, well, what, what's your perspective on it? Um, I, I said I, I can't do it just knowing that he'll be down for a month or two. I understand the aspect of how great he can be if he's there, but it's a big if for me that uh, he's going to come. And we even saw it last mm -hmm. year when they called him up, he still didn't play every day. So it's just – it's a concern for me. But, Ben, you did it right. You want to know why, Bubba? Do you want deviation. to know Ben did? What's that? It's deviation. Hey, oh, he's he's it's your projections. Yeah, oh, he, he, back, he, back, he backed it up with a good second catcher. Who did he back him up with? Uh, let's go Max Stassi. Elias Diaz. Beautiful. Smart man. That. That's beautiful because Elias Diaz has a very good batting average for a catcher or should have a very good batting average for a catcher. 
And so you, when you have him in, you have a high batting average, relatively speaking, and some contribution because he's playing more often than not because Dom Nunez sucks. Um, and then, um, and then you, then you get the the stolen bases. I think it's a, I think you did a great job, man. You did a great job. Yep. I also saw that he signed up for a main event with me, which. <laughs> uh, questions are off the table, off the table. Um, Marty at Beamer underscore cleaner asks, what are your guys take on CJ Cron and Coors? Well, Marty, if you paid attention to my Twitter on the day he signed, I'm very excited. Like it was a great Monday, phenomenal Monday because a, the Rockies love to play old guys over young guys. B, Cronin Coors Field gets me all kinds of giddy. So, and he's going free in drafts, obviously going to change now. But even the projection signs, like the bat, um, I think it, um, Derek Cardi tweeted out in a 600 plate appearance sample, which is not what's projected for on the site. But if you were to play 600 plate appearances, he's close to 40 home runs in Coors Field. Like I am over the moon about potentially CJ Crone playing every day in Coors Field. You? Yeah, I, I feel good about it. It's a minor league deal, so you just got to consider that. But he's uh, he'll be good there. I've got him in a dynasty league, so that feels nice. Um, yeah, yeah, everything that Bubba said. Yeah, he's minor league deals. Remember, they used to sign Mark Reynolds to minor league deals, and he played over young kids all the time. It's the Rockies, folks. It's the Rockies. I mean, Josh Prentice sucks. So let's. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I don't mean to be mean. I'm saying that word too too often. I don't mean to be does. harsh or mean, but compared to CJ Crony, does it's just simple. yeah. I mean, Quintes like he doesn't hit for pop, and he walks like two to three percent of the time. Yep. So yeah, it's it should as long as he's healthy, Crone should be playing. Just that simple. Uh, Dave Petroziello asks, catcher is so gross. I get the JTR love, and I want to try to get at least one share, but after that, I think Perez is priced too high. I like Will Smith, but I think Barnes plays enough that he won't be worth where he's going. I like Murphy, but he's going too high. I think maybe punt and or try to get some of my boy Carson Kelly late and hope he can find June. Ah, August too. You knew, had to get you Carson, knew Kelly Carson Kelly you was in the conversation. Dave, Carson Kelly, you know, I don't like Carson Kelly. Yeah. I you can't go Simple there. I can't that. go Simple with Carson that. Kelly. Dalton Varsho's coming for Carson Kelly. Yep. It's coming for him. Eric Samolsky at Samsky NYC ask, how low are you willing to go for your catcher too? I think we've established that with Stallings, Stassi, Diaz, like late 300s into the 400s. Uh, any later for you? No, yeah. I think I think those are kind of the the latest I want to go. Um, I wonder if there's like, like, is there a guy that's going after pick 450 in like a 15-team league that I would be interested in? Let's check um, this maybe like, I mean, Tucker Barnhart should play. Mm-hmm. I think Higashioka is the guy I look at because if Sanchez struggles, we saw in the second half last year, he played almost every day. Mm-hmm. And he actually played well. Like it, it was interesting to me. But deep, deep, like deep, deep. Like he's, he'll, you'll find him on the waiver wire. <laughs> Martin yeah, Maldonado, starting catcher for Houston. Well, but you, then you have Jason Castro, right? Yeah, so. but you imagine Maldonado. But, yeah, I like Castro. Chance Cisco is an interesting one, honestly. Yeah. Severino in a platoon. Yeah. There's really no straight guy that's it's gonna be playing every day down here. That's yeah. that's that's the biggest issue. It is. That's the tough piece. Yeah. Those other guys we mentioned should play like majority of the time. So we'll see. Uh MLB moving average already asked, is T Oscar a legit power speed stud or does he take a step back? We already answered that. Um, but the other question MLB moving average had for you 
And we're back to John. I just realized the second question of the day. Let me pull up the third, Reds. I think. Uh, let me, oh yeah, now it's his third. Let me check out best guess at opening day Reds outfield. Right now they have Akiyama, Castellanos, Jesse Winker. Um, technically you have Nick Senzel, Aquino. I think Akiyama, Winker, and Castellanos makes the most sense to me. Do you see anything different? No, I think that makes the most sense. Okay. Um, I think, I mean, can they play Senzel at short? That's where I thought they were going to. Maybe they still will since technically Kyle Farmer is the starting shortstop. So for everyone's sake, including Clay Link and Jeff Erickson, hopefully they play Nick Senzel at short. Otherwise, oh, my goodness. Or they call it Billy Hamilton – or not Billy Hamilton, um, D. Strange Gordon. Play him at short. But, man, yeah, I don't know. What a bad situation. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. But I think you see a significant amount of platooning. Senzel's going to play a lot, but they need to find a way to get him in there and – keep Winker's bat in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, one thing you might see is is um, Senzel being the short side for Akiyama, mm-hmm. you know? Makes sense. And then, um, yeah. All right. Quick hitter questions. Steve okay. Brunn asks, Rosarena or Teoscar? Oh, um, Rosarena or Teoscar? I'd go with a Rosarena um, okay. because I think they have similar weaknesses and a Rosarena has higher speed. Yeah, I got Rose Rainer too. Meadows or Grisham? Uh, Meadows for me. I think Grisham major concerns with Padres depth, left-handed pitchers. Agreed as well. Conforto or Rosario? I think we're on the same page here too. I mean, straight up. Straight Eddie. up, I got to go with Conforto. Ooh, I'm going Eddie R. We're different. I mean, sure. I love I love Eddie, but that's tight. Yeah, Eddie in Cleveland. I'll take it. Um, Kepler or Schwarber? Um, Schwaba. Yeah, I'm going Schwaber as well. Kepler, I just, I love Kepler, but I feel like we've seen his ceiling, and it's just, man, the floor kind of scares me at times with him. So, Schwaber in that lineup, I like him a lot in Washington. Actually, it could be really fun. Um, MS at SMMS seventy nine asks game theory. We always talk about getting speed from your middle infield slots and power from corner infield. How do you find yourself approaching outfield builds? Just fill out, just fill gaps, or is there a category you try to seek in this position? Physical challenge, build a respectable twelve-team outfield out after pick one fifty. So, um, are you targeting speed, powers, whatever fits your lineup? Do you have a Do you have a game plan with the outfield? Um, not necessarily. I do think that it's more a filling team hole uh, type of situation where I think that outfield is uh, it's actually not that deep i think it's like it's it's i think like later on in drafts there's a lot of different guys that you can go with that do a lot of different things for you like from pick 100 to pick 250 or something like that and so i'm oftentimes filling in my outfield in that particular spot if not if not a little bit later um so yeah it's really a question of filling in the needs that i have in the rest of my team. That's how I kind of use the outfield position in a lot of ways. And then he said uh, team building, build a respectable 12-team outfield after pick 150. I'm just like looking at the ADP while you're talking. There's a ton of guys that's worth drafting still in the outfield okay. after 150. I guess okay. it, it's crazy. Oh, um, it's beautiful. I mean, so I would go Anthony Santander, yep. batting average, power. I'd go Laoti Tavares. Speed, top of the lineup. 
I would go say Andrew McCutcheon. Yes, yeah, so like you better say him. It's awesome. Speed, runs, everything. Power. Batting average is somewhat uh, mediocre. Um, and then has he moved up? Damn it. He's 144. It's always part of the most, the best builds. Um, oh, God. Let's see. Who do I love? Mark Kana is very lovable. Yeah, I was looking at him, and right, right close to him is if you want to take the chance. Uh, where the heck was I? I was just looking out. I think Aaron Hicks is going too late hitting cleanup for, or in the middle of the Yankees order. Mm, that's a good one. I, I would go. For me, I'd round it off with maybe Brian Reynolds, ADP of 290 for batting average and kind of contributions in some of the categories. And then maybe I'd finish it off with my with my fave, which is Justin Upton. That's that's probably a a little light on batting average. Um, You know, maybe I would instead of getting Tavares, I'd I'd fit low cane in there. Yeah, Um, I think I think with McCutcheon, you could leave Tavares out if you wanted to. And. Man, if you just want to go power, you go Schwarber or Mancini. They're both massive power spots. AJ Pollock gets overlooked like crazy. I love, I love it. I'm loving AJ Pollock now. Yeah, I was going to include him in there, but I feel like uh, his inter, his inter uh, deviation. deviation is not going to be great. There's a ton of guys here though. Like it's 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 crazy just scrolling through this. Like it drops off eventually around 300 or so. But you from like 150 to 300 or even to 350, give or take. At SMMS 79, you can make a very quality outfield still, especially depending on what you need based on your roster construction. Steals aren't as a plenty, but you got Tavares, you got McCutcheon, there's a few other guys. Even John Birdie's here if you're in a super deep league. You're in a 12 team, so you probably don't need to go to John Birdie, but he's here. Um, there, there's definite options. Like 12 team league, you can take a few more gambles because of what's on the waiver wire. You can gamble on a Mitch Hanniger at 272. Just saying it. If he's as healthy as people say he is, that's interesting to me. But, uh, I, I'm still kind of concerned. I'd love to see him in spring training, but all the early reports are very, very positive there. So that's interesting. Another gamble if things shape up in the preseason, given it's the Rockies, Sam Hilliard at 321 is uh, another one you could take a, a gander on. But there, there's there's a lot down here, a lot to, uh, to play with for sure. Gregory Polanco going around ADP of 400. I don't draft Gregory Polanco. Oh, dude, I'm all over no, that. I know year. you do. Like injured players, you and Justin Mason. No, um, at Eric Samolski asked, Who's your preferred speed outfielder for later in the draft? Some guys like Birdie, Leotis, VR. I think Leotis, pretty much, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's there's Leotis and um, Locaine. You know, you gotta you gotta be a little conservative on that estimate for stolen bases given age and that he didn't play, but um, yeah, there's some later guys too. I mean, the thing is. Like Kevin Kiermeyer, you know, it sounds like horrendous to go there, but, um, you know, he's, he's a very clear platoon guy there as well. And so if it's, and Manny, Manny Margot, you know, yeah, as well, like Manny he was Margot. doing the bases like, like crazy. So you get one of those guys in your, he's in your team. Going, he's just going higher in drafts. It scares me, but yeah. Yeah, he is going pretty high, but like Kiermeyer's going after pick 400, I think. And yep. you know when he's going to play. And so if he's going up against four right-handed pitchers in that first half of the week or three second half of the week, you can just throw him in there and you know you're at least given a chance and he's not going to necessarily hurt you too badly in power either. So yeah. batting average is a different story. 
and two other long shot stolen base guys that have the potential to break out. Uh, you'll see the name a lot, Edward Oliveris for Kansas City. With uh, that situation, could be interesting. And the other one, I was just looking at Oscar Mercado. If you're believing in that, oh yes, that's a really good shout, Mercado. I've I've been drafting him a little bit lately, and um, Anthony Alford and Brian yeah. Goodwin as well on the Pirates. Whichever yeah. one of those guys gets um, that yeah. last outfield spot there, I think could be really interesting. Uh, Marty Tallman asks thoughts on Corey and Alex Dickerson. I love Corey Dickerson from a batting average aspect, maybe score some runs powers is what it is. Not going to steal a ton. Alex Dickerson. If you played every day, I'd be a hundred percent on board. I still like him strong side of a platoon, but just know Kapler will play the game. Even, even with probably one of his best hitters. Yeah, I agree on Dick on Alex Dickerson. And also don't forget to factor in that, that there is no DH. Yeah. And so the Giants, or at least at this point in time, there's no DH. And yeah. that means tough things for a lot of the Giants hitters. Um, honestly, like there's just a ton of questions there. Um, Dickerson, you know, they, you know, is fine. Yeah. Batting average wise. Um, uh, he's helpful and, you know, doesn't hit for a ton of pop or steal bases. It's a little empty, terrible yeah. OBP because he swings at everything. Um, so, yeah, I'm like, I'm not into him. I don't really draft him, but I could see the value of it. All right. That'll wrap us up. Last question. Ooh, we, have, we have a question in the chat. Oh, sorry. From GFBI defending champion, there Kevin is. Hastings. With platooning becoming more prominent, how many plate appearances are you comfortable with for a regular starter, assuming catcher is what he's asking for? So, because oh, um, outfielder, we should be fine with platooning catcher wise. What are you thinking? Well, I think for, I mean, for catchers, you know, you just want more than 50% of the yeah. playing time. Um, I'd prefer but, like 65 if I could, but that's probably asking too much in some situations. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just more generally with it. Um, and I think that's actually a really good point for why catchers also have more value now is because there's fewer guys that get the bulk. Yep. Right. So it really is a differentiating factor. But I think generally, I think this is where you can grind out a lot of value in other positions is by um, knowing platoons and planning for platoons and not being caught in a situation where you you're missing games because of the platoons. So really, it's a situation where I wouldn't necessarily think of it as a particular number of plate appearances that an outfielder is going to get me over the course of a season, but much more really on a week to week basis. Um, that's how I'm always thinking about the plate appearances for those guys. Cause I'm assuming if they're platooning, they're not that good, right? Like sure. if they're, if they're good then they play every single day. And so you're probably talking about an outfielder after pick 200 or something like that. Yeah. In that particular instance, I'm trying to maximize the grind. I'm trying to maximize the plate appearances from that guy's good side. And then maybe I'm trying to pair him with somebody else, you know, who maybe isn't as good, but has a good matchup that week, or maybe he wasn't as good, but plays every day. And so I can have that guy in when this guy's on the wrong side of the platoon too much that week. And I can have the other guy in and then you combine their totals and it's magic. Yep. No, I'm hundred percent with you. I think that's, that's the one reason why, like you said, you pay up for catcher. So you don't have to worry about that situation. Otherwise it gets dicey. And that's why again, once again, you get the likes of Stassi and, Diaz and Stallings late that are the prominent catchers and they're going super late in drafts. You get those at bats, which is very, very big. So I'm with you there. Like you said, outfield, 
you're going to get most starters for a little while there. If not, you fill positions of need for stats at that point in time. So thanks for the question, Kevin. Always thanks for the people joining us in the chat, having some fun with us on a Tuesday night. Uh, any final thoughts on our outfield catcher review preview? No, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I enjoyed talking about catchers and outfielders. Um, it was a lot of fun as, as usual. Thanks for all the great questions um, from our listeners. Always appreciative of, of them. Yep. Always good stuff. Um, you can see Toby on Saturday at PitchCon giving a presentation on rolling graphs. I will be on Friday evening at uh, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, doing a panel with Scott Pianowski, Max Greenfield, and Drew Silva, uh, formerly of Roto World, of now NBC Sports Edge. So come check all that stuff out. But PitchCon starts on Thursday. Yeah, yeah Thursday through Sunday. It's four days this this year, raising money for good causes. So come check all that stuff out. Lots of awesome stuff. PitcherList 6.0 launched today on Tuesday, and there's the whole link that shows you all the cool stuff for PitchCon on there. So go check all that out. And big news, Bubba, um, which I have to mention, um, is I'm the defending champion of the Friday night poker, hosts-only poker tournament. Um, So that's going to be a really big, um, you know, that's going to be a really big title I have to to defend on Friday. I might might have to see if I can finagle my way in there. We'll see. We'll see. You should. you we'll see if I can. We'll see. We'll see what I can do. I might if you have to. Me, I'll be really sad. So as you, I probably won't. I as you go, in, as you go into the pot, just think about how sad you could make me if you beat me. Okay. Uh, I, can't, I like my opponents to think about uh, while they're going up against me in poker is how sad I'll be if if coming, they win that coming hand. From the, coming from the silent assassin trash talker in in the DMs, like this guy makes you feel sorry for him, be nicest guy on the planet, and then boom hits you with the jab. Like, this is what Toby does. Watch out, folks. Watch careful. out. Remember Philadelphia, Rocky. It's all right there. It's all oh. coming together. Um, oh, man, can we throw in some Rocky music in the podcast now? Like, like what? Uh, oh, oh, which is hilarious because my kids, my um, uh, my oldest, my seven-year-old is super into Eye of the Tiger. Awesome. And so they'll, like, play it on repeat over and over and over again and dance <laughs> to it, which is just something – else oh man it could be worse could be worse so that that's good but everybody yeah check out toby on twitter at batflip crazy all the good pitch con stuff coming up this weekend we'll back with you guys on next tuesday i'm on twitter at pdntrick but uh thanks for listening bub and the batflip episode 71 catch you guys later